0: Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. For more information about Adventure Church, please visit our website at adventurechurch.tv. Now prepare your hearts for a message from God's Word. We're starting a brand new series called You're the One, and as we, we always try to do things seasonal here, and so we take advantage of the commercials that you're seeing all week long and all of those things that are reminding you to, to love one another and to be kind to each other. And so we want to talk this month uh, for the next three weeks about relationships and what it means to you, because people spend a lot of time trying to find the one, right? How many of you spend a lot of time trying to find the one? How many of you had a few that you thought were the one that did not up being the one, right? Like, you you spent some time trying to get to the one that you're with now, and then once you found the one, how many of you had to spend a little bit of time convincing the one that they were the one for you, right? You had had to do a little talking, a little convincing, and and then once you convinced them to finally commit to you as your one and their one... Then you have to work hard to make sure they stay the one for you, right? That you keep that relationship going. Because uh, to live happily ever after, how many of you know that relationships take work? They take work. It, it, is, a, it is a job. It is, a, it is work, and it should. And, other, and, and it should be that way because other than accepting Christ, who you marry, who you potentially spend the rest of your life with is the most important decision that you'll ever make. It's the most important because most people hopefully go into marriage, at least the ones that I do premarital counseling with, saying that this is the one that I want to be with forever. I don't want this to end, I want this to continue, and I ask them that question because if they hesitate at all, I say, yeah, you probably want to push the wedding back a little bit. (laughs) Because this is less about a wedding and a date more than it is about the rest of your life. And And once you find the one, then it takes work to keep it good, work to keep it going. And so we're going to talk over the next few weeks about being single and what that means and and being married and what that means and and how sex and all of those things relate to that. So if you have a little one in here, it's going to be PG, PG PG-13-ish today. Uh, I won't go into detail on anything, but we will be talking through some of those issues and what the Bible has to say about those things. But the other day, I was thinking uh, today about what I would title the message, and it reminded me of a story a few weeks ago with, with Riley, and she happened to come in the room when I was getting dressed, and I was getting ready to put on my shirt, and she walks up to me and slaps me in the gut, just walks right up to me, slaps me in the gut, she says, Daddy, your belly is getting big. And I said... I think we need to do that 28-day challenge for the whole church to join me in, in getting, and that, that's where the 28 challenge was birthed from. I'm just kidding. That, that was not where it was birthed from. But she, how many of you ever had your kid just kind of tell you like it is before, right? They, they, they don't filter it. They just tell you like it is. And it was a little bit of a wake-up call, and then I began to explain to her why my belly was a little bit big, that the holidays, and, you know, that, that I was going to make a commitment to work on that for her and then try to get back in a little bit better shape. But I love it. When someone tells me like it is, and when, when we come to important things in life, I think it's important that we tell it like it is, that we tell you the truth. The truth always has to be uh, delivered with love and with uh, compassion. But the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this isn't a widely popular passage that people preach from, but he's dealing with the church in Corinth that's pretty jacked up to be honest with you. They had a lot of issues dealing with, and, and really, uh, when we start in chapter 7 in just a second... Uh, Paul takes the first six chapters of this book in 1 Corinthians to really acknowledge and address the issues that they didn't even ask him about because they sent him a letter saying, we have some questions about relationships and, and what should happen. And he spends six chapters just getting to the part where he answers their question. And in the, in the previous chapters, he's dealing with incest. A, guy's, a, a, a son is sleeping with his father's wife. He says, look, that shouldn't happen, guys. Let's, let's, let's deal with it. Let's tell it like it is. You shouldn't do that. Then he begins to deal with widely uh, sexual immorality that was happening and prostitution and this community of believers, this church that he had started was, was kind of going off the deep end, so he's dealing with the issues that were at hand. And then he finally, when it comes to chapter seven, says, in, starting in verse one, he says, now regarding the questions you asked about, Now I'm going to talk about what you actually asked me about. Six chapters dealing with the real issues, because how many of you know sometimes we don't take our real issues to God, we don't take our real issues to life group, we just kind of want to ask the questions that we think, you know, that would be the the, the right ones to ask instead of really dealing with the issues, but then he gets to some of the issues and the questions that they had. He said, now regarding the questions you asked, he says, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. I didn't get any amens on that. I was expecting a few amens. He said, it's good, but, how many of you like when the but comes in, right? Here comes the but. But, because there is so much sexual immorality, again, he was dealing with all these issues that they had, he said, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. I thought for sure I'd get an amen on, on that one. Hey, I didn't write this book, okay? We're all adults. We can, we can handle a real conversation. Again, the title of my message is Tell It Like It Is. Today, we're going to tell it like it is. It says, do not... Deprive each other unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time, limited time, so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. He said you can take a prayer break, get something to drink, come back together. (laughs) Sometimes you need that. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. But I wish everyone were single just as I am. Kind of get some amen from the single people in the house. <laughs> Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those, verse 8, so I say to those of you who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It is better to marry than to burn with lust. So when it comes to relationships, Paul's dealing with a lot of issues here. And today we're going to kind of walk through this and, and give you three truths of telling it like it is from the Apostle Paul when it comes to love, when it comes to relationships, and when it comes to sex. First of all, I'm going to kind of skip down to the end of that passage in chapter 9, and then over the next few weeks, we're going to dig into this this entire chapter a little bit more, than entire Chapter of of 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, is loaded with some good stuff when it comes to relationships. But the first point I wanted to make is directed at the single people today. And he goes down, skipping down to verse 9. But singleness, and here's the first point singleness is a seasonal gift, not an eternal sentence. It's a seasonal gift, not an eternal sentence. So now regarding the questions that you asked, he said, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. And Paul, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, Paul is, is making the assumption here that sexual relations only happen to, in, the, in the context of a marriage, into a covenant relationship. So he said, it's, it's good not to enter into a relationship because it will give you time to focus on other things. And then verse 7, he says, I wish all of you were single just like me. It's a special gift from God. I say to those who are married and widows, stay unmarried, just as I am. But if you can't control yourself, go ahead and get married. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. And here's the thing. Paul was single when he, when he wrote this, obviously, but Paul wasn't always single. We don't know for sure exactly what happened in his relationship, but we know from the position that he held in Hebrew culture that, that uh, to be the Pharisee that he was before he found Christ, to hold that kind of authority and position, that that man was supposed to be married. And so Paul was married, and scholars believe that his wife had probably passed away, and from his calling to God to plant all of these churches, that he remained unmarried so that he could really pursue the calling that God had on his life. So single people, being single is not an eternal sentence that you are Determined and, and going to have to live out forever, it is a seasonal gift that God gives us. You know, we just came out of the Christmas season, and it, it's kind of sad. We, we like to get our kids a lot of toys, and then family asks, "What should we get the the kids and that kind of stuff?" And so I like to get them all the toys that they enjoy opening, and then I tell everyone else to get them clothes, the things that they need. Right? Hey, you can get them the clothes, and you know, because it's kind of like when a kid opens clothes, you know, they're kind of like. <laughs> Oh great! Thanks. You know they just toss it over the shoulder onto the next present. But as a, but as a father, sometimes and to take care of our kids and, and knowing I don't get them just what they want, right? I give them what they need. My kids don't need any more toys. I moved into a way bigger house than I was living in before, and the toy section just got bigger, right? I thought my basement was going to be my man cave. It's it's a playland for my children. I got full houses that are, that are made to be in backyards that are in my basement for my kids. I got buckets of toys everywhere. They're just exploding at the seams. My kids don't need any more toys, but, but my son likes to eat. And so he's growing really fast. What the kid needs is, to, is, is clothes. He doesn't want clothes, but he needs clothes. And sometimes in our life, we have a good father who doesn't just give us what we want. He gives us what we need. And he says singleness can actually be a gift that that God gives you that, that you may not want it. You may not want it for as long as you, you've had it. Maybe you didn't think you'd be single this long. Maybe you thought you'd be married by now. Maybe you thought you'd never be single again. But you are. But if you can get the right perspective, and Paul is saying if you can focus on the right things, if you begin to focus on God and you begin to focus on what he's trying to do in your life and trusting him and saying, God, my life is yours and so I understand that you're leading and guiding me so that no matter what season I may find myself in, it's intentional because you're a good dad and you work all things together for my good and you do have a plan and purpose for me and it's full of promises and it's full of joy and it's full of, of purpose in you, but I need to trust you in the seasons that I don't understand. And if we can get the right perspective and we begin to focus on the right things, we'll, we'll understand that being single isn't an eternal sentence. It's, it's just a seasonal gift, a gift of preparation to help you to become ready. You see, the problem is, is that our, our culture focuses on finding the right one. Scripture focuses on being the right one, becoming what you want some of you want to find your one you want to be able to look at someone and say you're the one the search is over and and you want that And, and, and god knows you want that but god also knows this as as the one who sees the beginning from the end that if he brought the the one to you right now you'd ruin it you'd come to them with so many needs and so many issues expecting them to fulfill something in you that only God created to, to fulfill in Him himself and, and the purpose that he has for you. And, and we, we begin to listen to culture and say that, that I have to reach this status by this age and I gotta be married by this age and I gotta get kids by this age. If not, I'm not you know fitting up with, and, and meeting with the Joneses. I'm not gonna get where I wanna be. And, and we get focused on the wrong things. And God goes, if I brought someone into your life right now, you're not ready for it. You're not prepared for it. And God knows where you're at. And so, so scripture here, Paul's saying, look, don't just, don't just focus on finding the one. Focus on being the right one, becoming what you want. You know, I always joke with people and say, you're either single for a season or you're single for a reason. Some of you are single for a reason. I'm just playing. You're not. But what does the season mean? What is the season for? Season is for preparation, right? A season is is to prepare you for what God has for you, to pursue God, to become complete in Him, because you can focus on becoming the right one, so when the right one does come into your life, you're ready to be with them. You've dealt with who you are. You've come complete in Christ. You're you're fulfilled in the plan that He has. You know the direction that you're going. I talk to people all the time. I go, what do you want to do with your life? They go, I don't know yet. I go, well, you're not going to get married until you figure that out. Who's gonna marry you when they go? Hey, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? "Ah, I'm not your show. You want to come with me? No. (laughs) Because what if you're going that way and I want to go that way? I gotta figure out what way I'm going. I gotta figure out what God's called me to do. I gotta figure out the direction because otherwise, you get the right one and you want to go in different directions. That's why over 50% of all marriages end in divorce. It's one of the reasons because they go, look, why are you going this way? I'm going this way. What happened here? I didn't focus on becoming the right one, becoming who God wanted to be. So you are single for a season and you're single for a reason. And that reason is God's purpose. God always has a reason and a purpose for every season that you're in. Scripture says, the promise of Scripture says he's working all things. Everything. Every season, every circumstance, every problem, every issue. He says he's working all things together for your good for the purpose he has for you. So we gotta focus on that because every season has strengths and every season will have struggles, right? I was single until I was 27. I didn't get married until I was 27. I was a youth pastor for about three and a half years before I got married to Jess. And we dated for you know some time in there, but I, but I was a single youth pastor. And that singleness enabled me to pursue God it enabled me to pursue his plan in a way that I could not now as a husband and as a father. My first job didn't pay very good. I couldn't afford to feed my kids on what I made at my first church. Right? So so if I, if I was married coming into that season of my life, I wouldn't have been ready for it. I wouldn't have been able to do what I wanted to do. So Paul's saying it was a gift. It was a gift that I could pursue him i could pursue his call without any limitations without nothing holding me back i could pursue him and his plan for my life so it was a strength for me but it was also a struggle being a single youth pastor is not easy the accountability that comes with that it's not you can't just date anybody right so what do you do again for a living oh i'm a youth pastor ooh, okay um what does that mean actually? What do you, what do, you do? Like the, the, pool, the pool was limited to choose from. I had to, to make sure and, and thankfully God had an amazingly beautiful woman just waiting for me and in the right season that came along. But, but there was accountability and like, can I just tell you for those first few years in youth ministry that every grandmother in, in that church had someone they wanted me to meet? Are <laughs> you're single. They'd show up on a Sunday Pressure was there. So every season has strengths and struggles. And so single people, I'm not trying to say that what you're going through isn't difficult. I'm not trying to say that there's not challenges with that. And I, and I understand that. But really the bottom line that it comes down to is either you trust God with your life or you don't. It's really, that's the bottom line. God, I either trust you. The Bible says if I'm, if I'm pursuing God and he is my focus, that in the right time, in the right season, He will bring the right person for you. Do I trust him or do I not? You're single for a season, and then it's a gift. If you can get the right perspective, it's not an eternal sentence on your life. So Paul talks about singleness. Then he also describes what the standards are for sex. Paul describes, he he says, God has set the standards for sex. He says, but because there's so much sexual immorality, How many of you think our culture has a little bit of sexual immorality? You watch TV for about two seconds, you figure it out. He says, because there's so much of that, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. So right here, God is setting the standard for sex. If you have a wife, or if you have a husband, well, I don't have one of those, then you don't get to have sex. That's the standard. It wasn't a suggestion. He didn't say, ah, if you don't feel like it. If... He, he said, no, this is the standard of God. That, that sex is reserved for a covenant relationship between two married people. Husband, wife. That's it. He sets the standard. He says, this is the way it has to be. He's telling it like it is because sexual immorality was rampant in this culture. It was getting out of control. Read through Corinthians. See how jacked up it was. Do a little historical context and and search and read for yourself all the issues that we were facing. I don't have time to dig into it today, but Paul was saying, look, it's jacked up. But but if you are married, that's the only parameters that God gives you to to deal with these issues is, is to be married, to deal with that. Because if we think about it, life with no standards would be chaos, right? If there was no standards, doesn't mean we always like the standard, doesn't mean it always fits what we want, but there's a standard there for a reason. I don't like the speed limit. But it's a good thing it's there, right? I'm glad there's one. I'm glad there's one in, in my neighborhood when my kids are playing. Right? I, I don't I don't always like it. I don't always like it when I'm in a hurry. And I pass a cop and I try to hit my brakes and it's too late. But the standard is there. The boundary is there intentionally to help us, not to hurt us. Boundaries are blessings. They're blessings that are for our good that God has set them up. He doesn't do it to punish you. He does it to protect you. He's a good, he's a good dad. He loves you. And he says, look, here's the deal. Here's the boundaries. And if we go outside of the boundaries, that's when we get hurt. That's when our culture gets hurt. And our culture has corrupted sex. It's diminished its meaning. And and God created it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a gift to be enjoyed within the context of marriage. And it's 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 an awesome thing that God has given us. But because he created it, because he defined it, he gets to determine the boundaries, right? Right? He created it. He said, This is a gift, but there's boundaries to it. They're not here to limit you. They're not here to punish you. They're here to protect you. There's boundaries to how far my kids can go. They can't run in the street. They want to. They'd love to play in the street. I don't know why, but they would. But they're not allowed to go in the street. They don't go past the end of the driveway. Why? Because I want to protect them. They think it's punishment. I want to be free. I want to go and do whatever I want. Well, that's when you get hit by a car. And many of us have been burnt in relationships. Many of us have been hurt in ways that we, that we can't still get over. The, the, the emotional scars are, are, are still there and, and the wounds are still fresh because we went outside of the context. We broke away from the boundaries and, and that blessing turned into a burden. And it's burnt us and it's burnt other people. God has set the standards for sex. And we can't listen to culture. We can't follow the cues of our culture because it will lead us in a a direction that God never intended it to go. And when we do it the right way within the, the the confines of a relationship, of a covenant, of a marriage, it's an amazing gift from God. But when we take it outside of the boundaries, it becomes a burden and not a blessing. So God has set the standard for it. And we're gonna talk a little bit more throughout this series really about all of these topics. We're kinda of laying some groundwork today. But Paul is telling it like it is and being straight with a with a church that was dealing with some big issues and he's telling the single people, Hey, keep your focus. Trust God. He's with you. It's a gift. Get the right perspective. He he sets the standard for sex because sexual morality was was going nuts in this culture and he had to, he had to fix it and, and bring it back into the context which God had for it. And then lastly, he also says this. He, he determines that godly relationships are based on devotion and not desire. Godly relationships, that's the key word there. Godly relationships, God-honoring relationships are based on devotion, not desire. He said the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. This is called mutual submission. I always tell people the key to an amazing sex life is to put the desires and the needs of your spouse before your own with no strings attached. That's what Paul's saying right here. Husband, does he say, husband, your wife's duty is to fulfill every desire that you have. No, he says, husband, it's your your job, it's your duty to fulfill. In in other translations, he actually uses the word duty. It is your duty, and that's not real romantic, is it? It's your duty to fulfill your wife's desires, but then he doesn't just leave it there. He says, and wife, it's your duty to fulfill your husband's desires. And if you both focus on each other, they're going to be happy, and you're going to be happy. That's the way that it is. It says, don't deprive each other of sexual relations. What does that mean? It says, you can't hang sex over your spouse's head. Oh, you didn't mow the grass today? Sorry, honey. You were too tired. I'm too tired right now, too. He says, you can't hang it over your head. He says, but you need to to devote yourselves to one another because otherwise Satan could tempt you and, and pull you away from what God's called us to do. So if we sum this up, in a godly relationship, it's very simple. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about your desires. It's about the other person. If we can focus on pleasing our spouse more than we do each other, it says we'll have a godly and a happy relationship because you will reap what you sow and where you sow it. If you're sowing into those kind of things it's going to happen you're both going to get what you want that's the way paul's telling it like it is and a godly relationship is always based not on what we can get from it but what we can give to it what can i bring to the table what can i give to it and jesus has set the ultimate example for us in this the bible refers to the church you and me as the bride of christ that he, he considers us, he, he loves us like that. that. That he wants us to view him as, as, as the, the loving God that he is. And he says that, that the bride of, of, of Christ, that, that God was so loved us that he was willing to lay down his life for us. That Jesus took on my sin. That he died in my place so that I could have life. So that I could have the promise of eternity. So Jesus was the ultimate example of love. The Bible says that God is love, that he showed us what love was all about. And he says, if you really love someone, you will understand in a godly relationship, it's not about desire, it's about devotion. It's about being committed to what you signed up for. And we need to change our mindset because culture says it's all about you. It's all about your desire. Scratch that itch for yourself. Do what you want. God says, that's not the way it was created to be. That's not going to last, because if you come into a relationship needy, you'll always be a taker, not a giver. If it's all about what we can get, it's not going to last very long. Listen, you need to quit watching The Notebook. Some of of you in here, I bet you've seen that movie at least 10 times. Some of you are nodding at me. Because there's, and look, some some of you, you need to quit comparing your wife to some airbrushed model. That's not reality. There's a big difference between romance and reality. Can I get an amen? There's a big difference from what you watch on TV and what's real in life. There's a big difference from romance and reality because if it's all about desire, you're gonna end up disappointed. And disappointed couples end up divorced. But if it's about devotion, if it's about commitment, to that person that you stood in the altar with. Paul says if it's about you putting her needs before your own and you putting your needs before his, that, that, that God says that when you do that, when you focus on your spouse, when you have that kind of devotion, that that's the relationship that will last. Because desire can light a fire, but devotion is the only thing that's going to keep it burning. Desire will light the fire, But devotion is the only thing that can keep it going. Commitment will make the love last. Love doesn't make the commitment last. Can I just be honest with you? There's days that I wake up, I'm not the most lovable guy in the world. It takes a commitment from my wife to love me sometimes. Last night, I coughed all night long and kept her awake. It was a commitment. She stayed in that bed. Because it's the commitment that makes it last. It's, it's devotion that keeps the desire going. And look, if your marriage isn't working, it's because you're probably not working. Marriage takes work. It takes devotion. It takes dedication to make it last. And too many people go into it thinking it's all about desire. It's all about romance. They haven't dealt with reality. And then reality hits, usually at the end of the honeymoon. Right? Then it hits again when you have some babies. You know, this, this isn't like the notebook at all. <laughs> because it's not real. We need to, get to, to, to wake up to the fact Paul's saying, look, it's going to take work. It's not about desire, it's about devotion. You need to, to take care of each other. You need to focus on them, and when you do that, it'll keep going. So what do we need to do? How do we do that? Because again, a lot of times we focus on the passion, we focus on the romance, and we we focus on the desire. And, And if you want the passionate fire in your in your relationship, you gotta start feeding the right fire. You gotta do the work to fuel the right fire. Fairy tales are fairy tales. Romance novels, the movies, airbrush models, pornography, all those things are it's a false fire. It's infatuation. It's not real. And God says if you want the fire in your relationship, you got to start feeding the right fire. Think about what it takes to to keep a fire going, right? you got to go find a a tree. Some of you just stop at Kroger and buy the wood. I get that. (laughs) Let's let's think back a few years. You had to find wood. You had to chop the wood up. You had to build it in a way that, that it would take a flame. Then once you got the fire lit, you had to keep putting wood on the fire. So it's chopping wood, lighting the fire, feeding the fire with more fuel to keep it burning, fanning that flame, and then it's repeat the process all over again. That's a great picture of what it takes for a marriage and a godly relationship to work. Desire will light the fire, but devotion, chopping wood, sacrificing, putting it on the fire, doing the work that it takes, that's the kind of thing that keeps the fire burning. Devotion, Paul says, look, it's not about you, it's about them. But look, we need help from God to feed the right fire in the culture we live in with the selfishness that we often have, with the flesh that we have to fight. We have to make sure that we're feeding the right fire, putting fire in into your marriage, putting fire into your relationship with God. And sometimes it's weird to be thinking about like, man, God wants you to be on fire for Him. We hear that sometimes, and the Bible refers to it, that man, we need to fan the flame, that God wants you to be burning bright for Him. How do do you do that? You have to feed that fire. And fire is an all-consuming thing that it consumes your life. And God wants you to be on fire for him. And when we put him in the you're the one seat in our life, when you say you're the one for me, God, you're the fire that I need, you're the thing that's only gonna help me work, you're the thing that's only gonna help my marriage work, I need you to be involved in all of it, I need you to be an all-consuming fire in my life, then we're feeding the right fire. Then we're feeding the right fire. The band's coming, we're gonna close up. But we have to get to a place where we say, God, you're the one. I love the Ohio State University. The Ohio State, right? All my friends that live in other places, they go, this is the dumbest thing i ever heard. (laughs) Like, you're the only university in the whole world. I said, well, we're the only awesome university in the whole world. We are the only national champions. Undisputed right? But I I like that because it says there's no one else. There's there's no other university like the Ohio State University. And for us to feed the right fire, for us to be able to live this out the way that God wants us to, to be devoted, to trust him with our whole life, and to, to live within the boundaries that he set up for sex and those things in our life, the only way to do that is to feed the right fire, and the, the, the fire is him. It's saying, God, I need you. God, I need you to, to burn within me with a fire that, that can bring holy desires. The only thing that will bring holy desires, which is what we need to, to love our spouse the way that God wants us to, to live in the boundaries that he set up so we don't get burnt and so that it's actually a blessing to us. To, The only way to do that is for the consuming fire of God to burn within our life. Where we go, God, I want you more than anything else. You're the one for me. You're the one. You're the only one who showed us what it was like to truly love sacrificially. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I voluntarily give it up. For you. He did that for you. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget what Jesus did for you. He died for you, for your sin, for your junk, for the the issues that you deal with. He died for it. And his mercy is new every day where we don't have to live in fear that God welcomes us in and he invites us in. It says he stands at the door and knocks and he says, if you invite me into your marriage, I'll be there. If you invite me into your personal life, I'll be there. When you need me, I'll show up and you're single and you're lonely. You invite me in, I'm knocking, I'll be there. And when you can start burning with a fire that's for me, those holy desires will come and you'll finally get to the place where you'll go, God, if I never marry anyone, you're still enough for me. burning with a holy fire for God. But the only way to do that is to ask God, is to say, God, I need it. I invite you in. He stands at the door and knocks. I love that. He says, whoever opens the door, doesn't say, if you get cleaned up first, I'll come in. If you make sure your house is cleaned up and it's my favorite meal, then I'll come in. The Bible says, no. He stands at the door and knocks. And anyone, anyone who opens the door says, he'll come in. He'll eat with you. He'll dine with you sit with you he'll be everything that you need today would you stand with me as we close out with this song but today we need to fight fire with fire right we all have desires we all have things that God doesn't want in our life he says the only thing that can consume the flames of an unholy desire of things that God doesn't want for your life is the holy fire of God you say God light a fire within me you see sexual passion those things outside the context of marriage will burn us up burn us up they'll burn us out but when we burn with a holy fire and a passion for God God says that flame never burns out and that that flame will sustain you through every circumstance through every issue in your life because he's a sustaining God but we have to fight fire with fire today Say, how can I do that? How can I not lust, Kyle? I don't want to lust like that. I want to to be focused on my wife. Man, you need to get the fire of God in your life. Man, I'm living in fantasy land. I got these expectations on my my spouse that I know that aren't fair. Man, you need to to get with God. We need God to change us. That's the only thing that will change us. And today we're going to sing this song that says, man, that God's love is like a fire. And if you invite that fire in and you mean it, you say, God, I need you to consume me. The Bible says he will. He will. By faith, we ask God. By faith, we receive from God. say, God, I need you. God, I want you to be the one for me because I know until you're the one, the one won't ever work. You got to be my number one. So today as we sing this song, wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord, would you just commit that to him? Say, God, you're the one for me. God, would you Would you burn your your values into my life? Would you help me to be who you've called me to be? Would you help me to love the way you want me to love? I need your help to do it. Let's make that commitment to the Lord.